Steven Crowder goes to war with the Daily Wire over a contract dispute. Is Steven Crowder building his business off the back of his friends? Or is the Daily Wire a bunch of corporate shills in bed with big tech? We'll look at that story. And then we'll look at the NAACP, who apparently took hundreds of thousands of dollars from Coke in order to call the enemies of Coke a bunch of racists. I know what you're thinking. They would never weaponize race over there. And then we'll look at an NHL player who was told that he has to wear rainbow colors or be denied entrance into a four-year-old girl's birthday party. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Or that he would offend the LGBTQ community. So why should a person bow the knee to a bunch of strangers because of their sexual preference? We'll talk about why he shouldn't, and we'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by the Kevin Blair team over at Element Home Loans. Now, did you know that it's an old wives' tale that you can't get your credit pulled too often or it will ding your credit score? It actually takes a long time for that to happen. But predatory lenders have been telling people that for years so that you won't go around shopping for better interest rates to do what's in your best interest. It's all a lie. And there are a lot of companies out there who rely upon tricks and extortion to try to lure you into their business. Now, you can't afford to do that with a purchase like a home. That's why you need to go to the Kevin Blair team over at Element Home Loans because they don't rely upon tricks. They just give you good customer service and they treat you with integrity. So that's why you need to go to kbmtg.com today and see what they can do to help you. And when you do so, let them know that Andy Thinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And today I'm going to do what I try to do every day, and that's take over the world with facts, logic, and coherent arguments on the subjects of culture and faith and the intersection between those two things and why they should intersect. Um, and perhaps if you don't care about either one of those things, why you should concern yourself with them. So I want to discuss today a story that's been taking the conservative media space by storm, and that is the the very public disagreement that the Daily Wire and Jeremy Boring has been having with Steven Crowder and the show Louder with Crowder, his show. Now, for those of you who don't know, Louder with Crowder is perhaps one of the largest conservative voices out there in the media, you know, conservative atmosphere and the ethos. And he does things like Change My Mind, where he goes to college campuses and has, you know, kind of like a one-on-one, -on -one, kind of longer form, substantive dialogue with people who very often, which college campuses very rampant, have kind of bumper sticker ideas about things and they just regurgitate things that have been shoved down their throat. And, and Stephen Crowder goes to college campuses to try to kind of undermine those narratives and to have a debate and dialogue and to see if those people who believe certain things like white privilege exist and male privilege exists and all those things that, to see if they can actually rationally defend their their standpoint. So he's obviously a very important voice in 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 the mainstream. He's brash, he's bold, he's expressed his um, faith in Christ on multiple occasions, um, and he's a little bit edgy and certainly kind of an anti-establishment voice within the conservative media ecosphere. 
And um, and just recently, he released a video that's already racked up over a million views and did so within a couple of hours of it being released. Um, and in this video, he said that he was exposing big con or big conservatism, uh, which in his mind is a big con. It's a it's a trick on people. It's not real conservatism. It's just corporate shilling for uh, for the man and for big tech. And in this video, he doesn't explain who he's talking about, but he talks about a term sheet that would lead to a contract where he says that the egregious things in the contract are predatory and can hurt young conservatives. Now, again, he doesn't say who he's talking about in this video, but it seems pretty clear based upon the fact that he says that whoever is offering him this term does live ad reads. Now, Fox News is, you know, a big company, um, but they don't do live ad reads, so it can't be Fox. But the company has to be big because in the term sheet, it says that they're willing to offer Steven Crowder $50 million for four years. Now, that's that's like NBA money. That's like big money, $50 million for four years for Steven Crowder. And um, so needless to say, it has to be a big company. Steven Crowder's leaving the blaze right now, as he says in the video. So it really only leaves you with one conclusion. He is talking about the Daily Wire. Now, Jeremy Boring responded to, uh, who is of the Daily Wire, responded to Steven Crowder. But before I get there, I'll just say, I walked away from Steven's first video thinking to myself, okay, this video has some merit to it. I, would, I really kind of want to think about this. Um, I'm a little bit disturbed even by it. But there is this thing that kind of nags me in the back of my head. The fact that Steven Crowder says, I don't care about this for my sake. I just care about the children. It's all about the children. Uh, and in other words, it's all about those younger conservatives coming up after me who, who may find a contract like this and then sign it and not know what they're getting into and it tricks them. And so I, I, I think that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because it sounds a lot like an SNL skit from back in the day where Steve Martin is sitting on a nice chair and he's by a warm fire and I think there's a Christmas tree in the back and he gives his Christmas wish list. And he says, if I had a wish, I wish for world peace. I wish that there would be one day where all the children of the world would gather in a big circle, holding hands and singing a song together and rejoicing over world peace. And then he gives his second wish list, which is like a limousine with a hot tub and endless champagne. And then he gives his third wish, which is I want a mansion where there's people waiting on me, rubbing my feet daily, feeding me chocolates and all this stuff. And he gives all of these wish lists. And he finally gets to the end of his wish list. And he's like, yeah, the kid crap, all that stuff. But really, I want to be surrounded by beautiful women. First would be the crap about the kids. We have this kind of false sympathy for things that tries to cover up our real motives. And that's kind of what I walked away from the first video with. But then Jeremy responded, and Jeremy responded with um, almost an hour-long video going over the term sheet, and he explains that the term sheet is just a term sheet. It's something that can be negotiated, and it's something that is not intended to be anything other than a conversation starter. And, and the big thing that is illustrated throughout the term sheet is what Stephen Crowder had the biggest problem with, which is this clause in the term sheet that if Stephen's YouTube channel is demonetized, or if he gets demonetized from any of his platforms, that there will be a punitive response um, or money taken away from Stephen that reflects 
how money is being taken away from him on the platform. Now, Jeremy goes into great detail to say, hey, we're going to try to help you find new sponsors. We're going to try to help you with that. But ultimately, what I'm trying to illustrate to you, Stephen, and to everybody else listening is that this term sheet shows that this is a joint venture, that I'm assuming risk by bringing you on and paying you a bunch of money, that I'm also asking you to assume risk. And, and ultimately, the idea is this, is that if Jeremy is not making money from the show, he cannot pay Stephen what he originally promised him. So if he's going to make good on his promise contractually to give Steven Crowder this money, then the channel that he's purchasing has to also make money, which means this is a joint venture and joint ventures also need to have shared risk. We don't think about this a lot because most of us have never seen a contract like this before. But by the way, if Steven had such a huge issue with the contract or the term sheet, because the term sheet is not a contract, it's just a discussion point, where then they can mentor into contract negotiations. They make a contract and then Stephen signs it once they've negotiated. But but if he had such a problem with that, then why did he much later say, hey, what I need is I need $30 million each year rather than $50 million for four years. So go back, take this contract. Now, I'm not suggesting that Stephen didn't have a, only had ulterior motives and didn't have a problem with, with that clause. But needless to say, the clause was something, uh, the clause to, you know, have punitive damages was just something there to, to try to illustrate that this is something that needs to be a joint business venture where we're both making money on this thing or else this thing is just not going to work. Now, people have a lot of thoughts about that, but as a response to, to Jeremy's video and to the fact that he's just in it to make money, I think Jeremy would say, I am in it to make money. It's more than that for me, though. And I think Jeremy has a good leg to stand on as far as this is concerned, because we're talking about the Daily Wire, after all, which sued the Biden administration over the vax mandate and won in court. And we're also talking about the organization that, uh, that made What is a Woman, one of the greatest, most groundbreaking documentaries of, of our lifetime, um, and certainly in the last couple of, of centuries. Um, centuries, decades, <laughs> in the last couple of decades. So needless to say, I, I, I don't know that Steven Crowder really knows this world. Sure, he's a big voice, but he's never been able to create a platform like the Daily Wire. And in order to do that, you need money. It's just an unfortunate reality of life. But it didn't stop Steven from coming back with a third video. And in this video, it's titled, I didn't want to do this. And in this video, it shows Stephen releasing some audio that was recorded of Jeremy Boring without his knowing about it. Um, so a couple things I want to say about this. The whole, I didn't want to do this thing. Well, if you didn't want to do it, then don't. You don't have to do it. This is all, again, an attempt to try to say, my hand is being forced because uh, these people just won't be the bigger man. So I'm going to have to be the bigger man and release the truth, release the Kraken. All right, well, here's the big problem with that. Stephen Crowder has a website, as I mentioned before, Stop Big Con. Um, and that website, like all websites, has a Who Is page. And some internet sleuths, some, some Twitter trolls, went and researched that Who Is page to see when Stephen registered this Big Con thing. And it was all the way back in December 12th. So what that means is that when Stephen was recording Jeremy Boring just a couple of weeks ago, Stephen had already hatched the plan to try to expose big conservatism. So a lot of people are saying, well, Reed, why does that matter? You know, why would Jeremy be afraid of uh, being exposed for what he said in a private conversation? Why does he care if it goes public if he has nothing to hide? Well, here's why. In the tape, he says the word wage slaves. 
Now, it's clear if you listen to it, what he's actually saying there is that the people who come who are younger, those younger conservatives, need to take some time to be wage slaves. And he's just using the term idiomatically to try to express the fact that they have to work their way up before they can ever have a joint ventured contract like the one Stephen is talking about. So he's saying that that kind of contract isn't for young conservatives, it's for big people like you, Stephen who, where there's big money on the line, there has to be an element of shared risk. Um, so uh, so he's, he's saying wage slaves as just a way of kind of expressing to him that there's a difference between the contracts we give to young conservatives and the contracts we're giving to you. Um, uh, but the, the whole point of that is this, is that context is totally missing when you record somebody illegally and then expose that conversation for the public to hear. So that's the big problem with this. Your guard is down. You're saying things that you wouldn't say and uh, on a normal basis, or, or at least you would say them more carefully so there was less room for them to be misrepresented than when you're having a conversation supposedly behind closed doors with a friend where you think they'll understand your heart and what you're trying to say. That is, of course, until that friend stabs you in the back and releases that to the public. This is why those tapes are not allowed, um, these kind of illegal recordings without people's knowledge, are not allowed in a court of law because they lack appropriate context and they can be edited. And that's just not even changing the content anything more than cutting off the front and cutting off the back of a piece of, of audio. So Suffice to say, it's highly problematic, if not unethical and immoral, to record somebody without their knowledge and then to release that to the public. So the real question at the end of the day is, was this done to expose the Daily Wire for being in bed with big tech, for censoring you know, young conservatives and conservative platforms in the same way YouTube does? Or is this actually exposing Steven Crowder, who is looking to build his business on the back of his friends? Well, I can only tell you this. I stepped away from all of this, and I hope you think for yourself about this. I only stepped away from all of this saying that whenever you want to take a very normal contract negotiation, it's not normal to us because we don't have million-dollar contracts coming our way. So when people see this online, they're like, oh, my God. Um, and, and it doesn't make sense to them. But when you, when you have a contract like this and – Contract disputes are so normal on a regular basis. It seems odd to me that you would want to take that public and really expose it if you weren't doing something and didn't have an ulterior motive. So the first reason I want to even bring up this story in the first place is not just to illustrate it to you, but just to help us think about these things. You know, the left and the progressive movement, and in this case, it's happening in conservative media, it seems like. It's so hard for us to tell the truth because the truth is being perverted constantly. And, and we live in, in the most information-saturated age that's ever existed on the planet, but yet people seem less capable because of that saturation to actually sort through logically information. Trust me, I see it all the time in the comments section. People who cannot parse information walk and chew gum at the same time. All right, so here's just a couple of things that I think we could step away from is we need to ask questions before we assume motive. It is so easy to demonize opponents. It's easy for somebody like Steven Crowder to stand up and say, these guys are shilling for big tech without the appropriate context and, and try to insert a motive that these people may not actually have. Again, these are the guys who sued the government and, and produced what is a woman? 
I think the Daily Wire is a net positive. So to try to expose these guys when they're doing really good things, um, I, I think is troubling to say the least. So before we assume motive, let's make sure we ask questions. People were so quick when I posted this um, on Facebook and Instagram to insert um, motives rather than ask questions. And of course, back to them, I just simply ask questions. What do you think about this? And what do you think about that? So ask questions. The, the other thing is this. Ask yourself what's more likely. This is something that I think a lot of people don't do. They don't weigh things in a practical way. What's more likely? That the Daily Wire is in bed with big tech or that Steven Crowder is trying to create a lot of business and a big bang as he starts this business and goes independent. You know, he's trying to put himself, uh, put on himself like that, this badge of honor, this badge of purity. I'm the one true person standing up for the conservative movement and fighting for you kids. It's me. Now, now it seems to me that that is nothing more than than a than a monetary policy in order to drum up subscribers, and again done so at the at the expense of his friendships with with these people. And then the other thing is this: is don't be naive about this. We, what we have to understand is whether you agree with the Daily Wire or, or agree with Stephen Crowder is that humans are humans, and there's a lot of humanity that runs through everything that we do. And we need to understand that very often there's no real clear good guy. In, in this case, um, or in some cases, however I might think that there is in this. And then the other thing is, is in the process of not being naive, don't be cynical either. Don't automatically assume that you understand everything that's going on in everybody's motives. We've kind of already talked about that before. But the most, the most important thing, the biggest thing about all of this is don't major on the minors. Don't separate friendships over something that ultimately isn't really that big of a deal. This is something that I see in society a lot. We have no capacity to understand what is really a major issue, and we find ourselves squabbling over minor disagreements where we can come to the table and have these minor disagreements and say, hey, it's all right. And then very often, things that are major, now this happens in the church too a lot, unfortunately, things that are major, things that definitely we should divide over, things on like the life of the unborn, uh, the celebration and the affirmation of the LGBTQ community. These are things that are non-negotiables as far as the Bible is concerned. But then we say, oh, well, let's just, let's just forget about those major things and let's, uh, let's just love everybody. Well, the point is, is we can love everybody while also understanding that major issues deserve our attention and deserve substantive conversation while minor issues do not deserve disagreement and division. Don't be divisive over minor things. Make sure the majors are the majors. Don't major in the minors. And see, the reason this is really truly troubling in our age presently is that we live in an age where people say, oh, the Bible is antiquated. And, um, and the Bible was just this book that a bunch of dumb shepherds carried around with them wherever they went. We shouldn't believe that stuff in, in the present. We've progressed beyond that. Um, well then, okay, if we shouldn't use a moral standard of reference like the Bible, then here's my question to you. Why not kill? Why not destroy? Why not step on the backs of your friends and step on the necks of other people if it helps you? You know, after all, you're a righteous person. You're the best thing uh, that since sliced bread, as we say. Um, you know, the, the law for your enemies and grace for yourself and for your friends. Um, you're amazing. Of course, you never do anything wrong. So your cause is just and the ends justify the means. So do whatever is necessary 
to make sure that your just cause is furthered, no matter how much it hurts other people in the process. Why not do that if we don't have a true standard of reference that calls us not to do that? So here's the thing. There are things that are more important than money, and those things are integrity, reputation, the truth, and people. Yes, people are more important than money. So in order for us to understand that, we have to have a standard of reference that dictates morality for us. And forgive me, but I happen to think the Bible is the best place for that rather than your arbitrary made-up moral values that you just got up this morning and decided to dictate to the rest of the world. The Bible is a much more trustworthy source for real authentic morality. And so at the end of the day, I just have this question uh, to Stephen Crowder. If you're not a sellout and the Daily Wire is a sellout, then why are you so quick to sell out your friends? Even though Stephen Crowder is a Christian and many at the Daily Wire are, are professed Christians, except for that guy with the yarmulke, um, even though there's Christians involved in this whole thing, I still think it's worth having the conversation that we put conservatism second and we put morality first. I know very few ways to do that other than to say, as I would say it, my Christianity comes first before my conservatism does. So it would keep me, if this is what Steven Crowder did, it would keep me from stabbing my friends in the back over a minor contract dispute. I would just say, I don't like the contract, thanks, but no thanks. But I wouldn't try to stab my friends in the back to make myself more popular. I just wouldn't do that because my Christianity comes before my conservatism. I have a code of conduct, a code of morality that's more important to me than any of those things. The problem with so much of what's going on in society today is that we are willing to put our political ideology first or that we don't even have a moral standard set of values other than that we've arbitrarily collected over a period of time. Guys, that's why I say the consequences of secularism are deadly because it removes from us the standards of morality that can come from a cohesive, well thought through and coherent religion like Christianity, which is why I think we should return to it. And we'll talk about that more in our top stories today. All right, so as we dig into these stories, we're going to take a little bit less time because we did so much on the front end of the show today to talk about these things. But these these stories are still incredibly important, and specifically this one with Coke and the NAACP. I couldn't wait to share it with you guys because it's so, so eye-opening and it's so important for us if we're going to parse through information, if we're going to major on the majors, not major on the minors, that we understand that this kind of stuff exists because there's many in the progressive and even in the evangelical world who just seem oblivious to the reality of what I'm going to expose to you guys today. So just recently um, on Twitter, a guy named Callie Means uh, sent out a couple of tweets about some really important things pertaining to Coca-Cola and the NAACP. So apparently Callie Means was a former consultant for Coca-Cola and he was in a backroom meeting with, um, with the NAACP and with Coke where he says that it was incredibly incredibly shocking how apparent and obvious the NAACP and Coke were being about 
demonizing their opponents for the sake of of monetary gain. So this is the story in a nutshell. Uh, Koch gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to the NAACP for the various initiatives that they gave in kind of like tax-deductible offerings, those kind of things. And in return for that, the NAACP in this meeting promised that any opponents to Koch that st- try to stand up against them, that they would immediately call them racist and try to figure out a way that these companies or these people or these entities were racist. Now, what this what this does is it reveals how there are corporate industries out there that are in bed with other institutions and they are using race as a weapon to try to wield it against other people. So this is what is called the weaponization of race. Now this should come as no surprise to anybody who's familiar with the guy uh, named uh, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, who actually figured out a long time ago before BLM was raking in $90 million in a single year, learned that you can weaponize race and it'll be incredibly financially beneficial to you. Reverend Al Sharpton has done nothing but show up wherever people are angry and try to stir up that anger and gin up that anger into money to himself. That's the only reason this guy now has a show on MSNBC. So, So there's a long history of weaponizing race and it is being done in the present and was done in the past specifically by Black Lives Matter, who, like I said, enriched themselves to the tune of $90 million. So this woke virtue signaling from corporations that around Pride uh, Month every year want to put rainbow flags on everything, and the people who want to try to make everything about race and try to extort you into agreeing them with them, if they can just throw in the word racist, homophobe, Um, or any other kind of phobe that they want to. These are the people who are actually extorting you because they have a financial motive. Reminds me to ask yourself this question. um, Where's the money? Or show me the money. Because very often there's a motive. Everybody's got one. And in this case, it's completely financial because hundreds of thousands of dollars was given to the NAACP. And this is something that was reported all the way back in 2013 by the Huff Post when they reported that the NAACP went to court against the Bloomberg administration when the Bloomberg administration was trying to place a bill into New York that would stop uh, companies from selling uh, sodas and drinks that had a high kind of um, sugar uh, count. So I think it was anything that was over 16 grams of sugar in a serving of a liquid beverage that they would not be able to sell that beverage. Now, of course, this is where Coke got immediately um, on the ball to get the NAACP on their side. And the NAACP took uh, this bill um, to task and went to court and uh, sued the Bloomberg administration and made uh, this bill go away conveniently. Now, many people back in 2013, including the HuffPost, were asking the question, what does the NAACP have to do with getting rid of this Bloomberg administration bill that's trying to eliminate high sugar drinks for for kids and especially minority communities? Because after all, right, the NAACP is there to protect minority communities, protect people from civil rights violations. There may be one or two people at the NAACP who actually care about this. Um, But why would they do it? Well, of course, we know now and Callie Means told us that 
the NAACP was sitting in back rooms with Coca-Cola and they were willing to defend Coca-Cola in this instance because they had given them hundreds of thousands of dollars to demonize their opponents and to make sure that they protect and protect places like Coke. Now, they do this at the expense of black people, by the way, because um, studies have gone to show that minority communities largely are um, the, the people impacted by these high caloric, high sugar <laughs> drinks um, that are very cheap to, to ascertain. And so you would think that the NAACP would, would stand up against Coke and fight Coke, but you can't do that when daddy's giving you some money. So it's important to, to understand this, especially in context of our bigger story today, that, that we need to be careful to analyze the motive structure of every single person involved. Um, and it's important to understand what people are really after at the end of the day as much as we can try to ascertain that. And that brings us to our next story with an NHL player that was forced to wear or at least they tried to force him to wear rainbow colors for a pregame warm-up in uh, celebration of Pride. Is it weird to anybody yet that Pride Month has turned into Pride Week just randomly throughout the month? I mean, we're in January, and already we're celebrating Pride in the NHL. But nonetheless, a NHL player named Ivan Provorov refused to wear pride colors during his pregame warm-ups, and as a result of that, it sparked media outrage, and it, ex- it sparked many people online calling for the firing or at least the benching of this player. He shouldn't be able to play in the game if he's not willing to warm up in these pride colors. He needs to bow the knee to the woke mob and to the priests of the LGBTQ community, or he must be excommunicated or worse, place him in the Inquisition until he recants. Now, a lot of people online were saying, what's the big difference, right? You guys got all frustrated in the conservative movement over um, Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the anthem. And, and, and now you're all outraged, too, over this guy who um, refuses to play um, because he won't wear these pride colors. I thought the game was more important than this foolish activism. Well, here's where we have to use a little bit of thinking, folks. Uh, what's the difference between somebody who refuses to honor the national anthem and somebody who refuses to wear pride colors? Well, just a real quick reminder. Um, America is something we all have in common. It's a country, right? Last I checked, it was anyway, Uh, much to the chagrin of socialists. And it's a country with borders. It's not a sexual preference. Okay, this is something you chose. America is something we all have in common. It's nice that you want to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Um, You can do that in the comfort of your own bedroom and do it far away from prying eyes. When you come into the public square and try to force people to do what you want, now that's where we start to have a problem. Um, The divisiveness of the uh, LGBTQ community and how they will stop at nothing to try to shove stuff down your throat is a little ridiculous. So, So this is what's important here is that America is something we willingly share in common. We've willingly chosen to stay in this country. Uh, if you're an adult and you have the capacity to do so, you've done so out of consent. Now, an adult who also has consent shouldn't have to celebrate somebody's sexual preference. What does that even look like? And by the way, I don't want to know what that looks like. That's something for OnlyFans pages. We don't go around celebrating sexual preferences. 
we do go around celebrating our country because it's something we all have in common. The other thing is this, is America has actually been a force for great good in the world. Show me exactly what in the world the LGBTQ community has done for anybody except their own little personal anecdotal stories of how it's released them to be able to come out of the closet and how much freer they feel now to reject religion and reject society and stand up for their sexual preferences. Um, America has been a force for good in the whole world. It's praiseworthy. It deserves to be honored, in other words, because of what it has done based upon its merit. So the reason we stand up and we celebrate America is because it serves a greater virtue, meritocracy. The reason we should not be forced to celebrate a sexual preference is because it doesn't stand up for any virtue. It stands up for a preference. And this is the last thing, kind of like the, the thing before it. America is not just America. And a lot of people have made this argument, and I think it's valid. It's soldiers who have died for our country and died so that you can have peace and safety. Please tell me how that's true of anyone in the LGBTQ community. Now, I know we'll hear all sorts of conversation about how the trans community is in danger and how um, ostracized and persecuted the LGBTQ community is. Yeah. The whole time they are forcing an NHL player and then getting the whole media apparatus behind them to castigate this player and wag their finger at this player. Yes, correct. The LGBTQ community is definitely disadvantaged and marginalized in society today and not at all a vocal minority who tries to push people around constantly. I think you find the Flyers a million dollars for this. I'm not kidding. Figure this out and stop offending people on nights where it's not about that. It's supposed to be about inclusivity. The National Hockey League need to attack this and figure this out. Because what I heard last night was offensive and didn't make any sense. The National Hockey League today needs to find that organization a million dollars and reevaluate how they support gay rights. Because that is insulting. That is the number one trending topic in Canada. That is insulting what happened in Philadelphia. And if the NHL is serious about this, they say they are. We'll see. Mm -hmm. We'll see how serious they are. So standing up for the flag is patriotism. Wearing rainbow colors is activism. And forced activism is dumb. And by the way, this is all clearly an attempt to try to humiliate this person publicly so that he does what the LGBTQ community wants him to do. This is why Christianity needs to be restored in the minds and the consciousness of our, of our nation. Because people on the left crave humiliation. And they use it as, as, a, as a bludgeoning device to try to make people do what they want. Christianity did something vastly different. Sure, it was built upon this idea of guilt and feeling bad for things that you've done that are wrong. But it was way different than humiliation. See, humiliation is merely an attempt to extort and blackmail people. This is what the crocodile tears of the LGBTQ community actually are when they say, we've been persecuted and, and we've had death threats and we've had this and we've had that. Well, sure, you, you surface those death threats and then we'll have a conversation and you let us know where they came from, if you know, and we will stand together and make sure that those people who are threatening you are brought to justice. Otherwise... Highly skeptical of the fact of whether or not you are actually your mere existence every single day is being challenged and being threatened. Um, that is an extortive an attempt to try to out anybody who would 
say anything contrary to what these people believe. With, with guilt, it's far different. Yes, guilt can be brought on by another person and exposing the the, the issues that are that are going on or the things that you're doing, but it is always done so with love of the other in mind. See, humiliation is always about the other individual who's trying to humiliate you, whereas Christian guilt is always about the person who feels guilty. It's, it's guilt for the sake of reformation, for their own personal benefit. That's not what humiliation about, is about. That's not what forcing this man to wear rainbow colors is about, as though he was going to a four-year-old's birthday party. Forcing him to do that is a means to humiliate him. And this is the final point, because if you can humiliate people, you can dominate them. You know, it's really funny to me, too, that we, we have shock over this whole thing, that uh, broadcasters and others were just shocked that a man believes in Christianity. Um, that, that, to me, exposes how dominant the left actually is in culture. They want to dominate, so much so that now when anybody expresses a Christian worldview, they're shocked by it. And whereas Christianity used to be the kind of cultural dominant factor in society, now it's clear that the LGBTQ community is trying their darndest to take that place and feigning shock whenever they find a Christian in a, you know, a needle in a haystack Christian who's actually willing to stand up for what they believe. And speaking of willing to stand up, uh, in our final story, I want to look at Pamela Anderson and a conversation that she just recently had about her book where she exposes Tim Allen, who exposed himself to her, she said, on the set of Home Improvement way back in the 90s. Just recently, Pamela Anderson released a book, kind of a tell-all from her past, and she is doing a media tour. And in the book and also on this media tour, she retold a story that she said happened to her and Tim Allen. So I'll let you hear it from her first. Here's that. Pamela Anderson is alleging that Tim Allen flashed her when she was 23 years old, a claim which the actor has denied. In an excerpt obtained by Variety from her upcoming memoir, Love, Pamela, Anderson claims that on her first day of filming Home Improvement back in 1991, Allen opened his robe and flashed his penis at her in the hallway outside her dressing room. She noted he was completely naked underneath the robe and added, he said it was only fair because he had seen me naked. Now we're even. That was presumably a reference to her modeling career for Playboy. Anderson writes that she laughed uncomfortably at the encounter. In a statement, Allen denies the claims altogether, saying, quote, no, it never happened. All right. So let me just be really clear. I kind of don't care about this story at all. I, I care about, obviously, whenever an injustice has been done and making sure that wrong has been righted. But but I don't care about this story. I do care about the truth. And the truth here is, of course, whether or not Tim Allen really did what he did. But we see this all the time. These people who are exposing other people and uh, bringing justice and willing to come out and speak up in their defense. The problem is when a person does this, it either takes great courage for them to expose their abuser or expose somebody who who did something to them, or it takes a, a whole lot of calculated evil to do it. And so the question becomes, how do we know if Pamela Anderson is telling us the truth? Because Tim Allen has come out via his agents and vehemently denied that this story ever took place. He said, I would never, ever do such a thing, and I didn't do such a thing. So how do we know who's telling the truth? Is it mommy or is it daddy? So here's just a couple of food for thoughts as we kind of round out the show, as we've been talking about 
You know, what does it really mean to have a standard of morality, to have a set of values, and not to major on the minors, to make sure that we're we're standing up for the things that really matter. So here's just a couple of thoughts. Um, and, and I have to be honest about this. Does a woman who shows her breasts for a living deserve the benefit of the doubt? I mean, you might say to yourself, Reed, the fact that she does that is not related to what Tim Allen did. Those two have nothing in common. Well, are we sure that they're not related? And here's why I think they are. If money is more important to you than integrity, then why should we believe that the truth matters to you? And here's the second thing. Porn is ultimately and only about self-gratification. It's about expedience. It's about taking the shortest route to your pleasure possible. And of course, we know that one of the things that needs to happen in these tell-all books is that you need to expose some Hollywood elite. You need to expose some big guy out there and, and try to show how, how evil they actually are. That's the way you sell books. And Pam was willing to sell so much of herself. I don't know why she wouldn't sell her integrity. And finally, I, I do want to say this about consent because Pam says that um, that Tim Allen exposed himself to her without her consent. So I just got to tell you, it's a little rich. Like porn artists violate consent every single day. They shove their nonsense down our throats on social media in the form of ads on social media and girls with low self-esteem who want to flaunt their stuff on their personal profiles. It took us all of about five minutes for social media to be created before we finally changed this this forum that was supposedly about open discussion and dialogue and connecting with people into a place for cat videos and girls' butts. So forgive me that I, I think that it's rich that a person who has consistently shoved her body parts down the throats of a generation that she's really got an issue with consent. More importantly... What constitutes consent has to be derived from a set of truth statements. Like, what do we know? What do we say consent actually is? So ultimately, when we say consent, what we're really saying is people have inherent value and consent needs to be given because of that. And that value demands to be respected because it is good to protect people who have inherent value. And if it isn't respected, you're a bad person. Now, listen to me. With all the talk of good and bad, shouldn't we know what good and bad actually is? How do we determine what good and bad actually are if we don't have a source that dictates to us the difference between these two things? And not an arbitrary source, an authoritative source. In other words, by what standard should we agree on the definition of good and bad? And this is where I come back to Louder with Crowder and Stephen Crowder and The Daily Wire and Jeremy Boring. If we want to live in a society where the truth matters, where our friends don't get stabbed in the back, and where people tell the truth and are not only telling the truth, but are self-aware enough to know what their motives actually are, and not just self-righteous and totally deceived. If we want to live in a world where personal opinion not rooted in coherent rational defense is rare, we might have to have a much broader conversation that goes beyond big conservatism and actually goes into big morality. We may have to have a conversation about why morality matters to society and more importantly, where we should derive morality from.
so that we aren't all our own autonomous agents developing morality as we go along. We might have to have a conversation about how unbelief in God has actually been bad for society and how a return to him could lead us back to moral virtues and away from the dead end that we find ourselves in. So if that's true, then I would encourage you to open that old dusty thing called the Holy Bible on your shelf, maybe read a passage or two and see if it doesn't provide a set of moral values that's better than what you came up with on your own. Now, I'd love to hear what you think about that in the comments section, but that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.